Welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly. This week's guest is Noah Drotti, the newest member of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network family, as he is the host of the D3 Glory Days podcast, which has just joined our network. This was a great conversation. Noah is a really smart, thoughtful guy with a lot of interesting perspectives on the sport and where we are and where we need to go. We also told a lot of funny stories and just generally had a great time. This was a super fun episode to record, and I definitely think you'll enjoy every minute of it. The one thing I should say is that we recorded a few weeks ago, uh, the day after the Texas qualifiers. So if you're a little confused on the timeline right off the bat, that's why we're not talking about NCAAs or sound running or any of the meets that have happened in the past couple weeks. Download, like, enjoy, listen, rate, review, do all the things that you do, uh, and check out Noah's podcast, D3 Glory Days, on Sidious Mag. And until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth. drinking the polar lemonade seltzer um polar okay well somebody's got a big budget is polar expensive i don't <laughs> I, I it's just a brand that i recognize so i imagine that it must be it's local to boston that's that's my like loyalty well they're they're made in worcester which is massachusetts um, you drink so. you're drinking local then that's cool exactly <laughs> this is from uh this is from kroger so. Oh, I've, I've heard of it. So yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly, uh, and this week we have a great guest. Um, we've been set up on a bit of a blind date by our friend Chris Chavez, um, the host of D3 Glory Days, who who also does some running in his spare time. Noah Drotti, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Yeah, you know, internationally famous Division Three podcast host um yeah it keeps the lights on that is how you want it to be credited right yeah yeah absolutely and running in my spare time is absolutely true yeah someone asked me once um very flattering but uh asked me if i had a job aside from the podcast and uh, (laughs) i had to shatter their illusion that i make you know six figures based off of uh run your mouth uh sadly we're not there yet We're, we're still in the upper five yeah, we're really excited to be joining the uh, Sidious Mag Network in a multi-billion-dollar acquisition. Um, you know, yeah, really, big contract. Really change our, yeah, yeah, it'll change our lives forever. <laughs> now that uh, now that Chavez has you know hosted one successful meet, he's now got exclusive streaming rights to all, all running from here on out. So <laughs> he just became the most pow- the most powerful person in track and field overnight. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good place to start. Uh, I assume you you watched the meet this weekend. Yeah, watched uh, both nights, pretty much all the way all the way through both nights, and um, yeah, I definitely came away being really like excited as a track fan. Um, it, it was really nice just to see people doing it, you know, the right way, and also it, it looked as if there was a pretty they were getting a pretty good response. I mean, last night there were over ten thousand people watching it live, and yeah, it's just really cool to see. It can have happen. <laughs> Hot takes from the results. Anything stand out to you in particular? Um, 
Uh, I'd almost need him in front of me. I, I feel like most of the races were pretty good with the exception of the, of the 10 Ks um, conditions, I think were less than optimal for that. But yeah, I mean, the men's race, like half the field dropped out and then it was a solo show, same in the women's race. And so those, those I think are the only events that didn't necessarily live up to expectation. Those are, those are pretty brutal as track 10 Ks so often are. Yeah. Um, yeah. No doubt. I've never run one but I have no plans to, so. Yeah, yeah, would not recommend to a friend. What's what's the worst track tank you've ever run? Is it trials? Uh, yeah, it was probably the trials. Um, and actually something very similar to what happened that day happened at the Division Three National Championships the one year I qualified, um, where I didn't get lapped, but I had to sprint on the home stretch not to get lapped. I just didn't want to be in the finisher's photo. And, and then... Uh, but yeah, the trials, I honestly didn't even look at the result until like a year or two ago because I was wondering exactly how slow I had run. And uh, I, I, I forgot it immediately, but it was really brutal. I, I thought I was finishing last that day, but then with maybe 50 meters to go, I look over my shoulder and Jim Spizak is kicking just <laughs> his brains out and he passes me just before the line. And uh and I ended up being last. It was brutal. See, in that circumstance, uh, I almost want, I almost want to get last because then it's like there's a stamp proving how horrible it was. You know what I mean? You're like, I got last. If you just got like third to last, it's like less. You can externalize it less. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I spent more time on the track than any other athlete did at the Olympic trials. Like I, I was out there for a solid 31 minutes uninterrupted, really just able to take it all in. I guess maybe the, the guys who doubled back had the, had a little more track time, but. Oh shit. Yeah. For, <laughs> not for, <laughs> what are you are going you? for, for the no, 10K this right. year? You ruined that for me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I haven't come off the marathon project particularly well. And so I'm running consistently now, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't like to think too far ahead to races until I'm really like in a good place with training and then I'll start to extrapolate. But, uh, I mean, that was the plan. I'm not sure if the timeline still works out. Uh, speaking of marathon project, um, I, I, I like to get the serious questions out of the way, uh, quickly Abs so absolutely. we can get to the good stuff, but, the hard um, yeah. Um, you're, are you, is it correct to say that you do not have a shoe sponsor currently? That's correct. So without asking you to, you know, reveal any secrets that are, that are possibly in the works or, you know, trash talk anybody that, that shouldn't be, <laughs> um, what happened there? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I feel like people don't really talk about that very often. Um, you know, I, I think people have this idea that you're either like re-signed or you're dropped. Like there's two options when those negotiations happen, but sometimes it's just like, you know, you have a different idea of what your value is than somebody else does. And so, you know, I was offered something that I didn't think was appropriate to my value and was unable to get that number up to something that was acceptable. Um, because, you know, I want to make a living in the sport. I think, <clears throat> I think I've earned the right to do that. And I think that performance put me in another 
you know, level of contract earners. And I would like to be compensated appropriately to that performance and to what I believe my marketing value is. And uh, yeah, that just didn't happen. And communication was difficult and kind of broke down. And so it's a shame. I think the door is still open to some extent, so I'm not going to totally like slam it shut, but uh, it has been a shame to see how that relationship has, you know, deteriorated somewhat. But yeah, there's, you know, my agent is Josh Cox and I really trust him and I know he's working hard behind the scenes, but it is, you know, stressful to be in this situation where you've essentially lost your job and, you know, nothing is final until it is. Was that conversation ongoing before marathon project um i mean my contract is up right Mm -hmm. and so you you know that it has an expiration date and so you want to start planning ahead and and i was very adamant that i wanted something done before the marathon project because i didn't want to go into the race with that like do or die stress of having to save my career because i also hadn't raced in a year up to that point (laughs) i missed the olympic trials like I just didn't have a lot on my resume. I didn't have a lot of bargaining power, but I thought I could still sign again on potential. Ultimately that didn't happen. So I did go into the race with, um, you know, kind of that attitude that I was fighting for my life in the sport, which as much as I hate that stress, it has worked out for me in the past where I, I have these clear stakes and I can rise to the occasion. And so I think I did that. Um, without kind of knowing that that performance (laughs) in a way was bad, (laughs) you know, like in a way was bad for my negotiations, um, as weird as that is. Bad, bad because they moved the the goalposts you're saying, or? Yeah, kind of, or yeah, kind of maybe I exceeded now after that performance, I was like, okay, you know, I probably wouldn't sign for what mm-hmm. I would have signed for before that performance. Like, yeah. cause it's like, you know, I'm, I'm on a top U S top 10 list now. Like it's um, a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And so, but you know, I thought, I thought everybody would be more enthusiastic about a performance and that wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah. I just, I think it's so tough. I think especially with marathons, Although I think all races, there is like a weird level of everybody's, you know, everybody's keeping the cards close to the chest um, before the race about what's going on. And then after the race, it's like, if it, do, if it goes poorly, you feel like, oh, if I talk about like stuff that was happening, like it'll seem like I'm making excuses or whatever. But I do feel like that's, I wish people talked about that more of like, how like stress is just so impactful to performance (laughs) and like yeah what's going on in people's lives can just like change so much about you know yeah how they show up on race day yeah no doubt um i mean especially races towards the end of you know contract years i mean every every athlete in that field every sponsored athlete in that field had a time bonus they were fighting for Uh, A lot of the contracts were set to expire. Some people were in negotiations. Like those are all like storyline undercurrents that no one ever talks about or posts about. Um, So yeah, that's, I think that would be intriguing to fans to know like what was really on the line for people. Um, And then like, you know, stressors outside of that. I feel like with more 
you know, as people focus more on their social media, social media presence, there is like an increasing level of honesty about like, cause athletes are real people, right? Things are either going good or bad in our lives at any given point. I feel like we're a little bit better about talking about that stuff, but like nobody really wants to put intimate, you know, stresses yeah. out on, you know, out into the world. And just because we're athletes, I don't necessarily mean think that we should have to, but, you know, honesty and openness is is good and it helps fans root for us as people. Yeah, I, I had um, I ran my first and so far only marathon at CIM 2019 and yeah. I had food poisoning five days before the race and like like bad food poisoning, like throwing up everything in my stomach for 12 hours. No. And it was that it was that classic thing where I'm like moving into it. I was you know, it's like I didn't eat properly that whole week because my stomach wasn't right and then afterwards it's like it didn't quite go the way I wanted but I'm like I, I had that thought where I'm like I'm not going to be the fucking person who blames you know like you know fall, and, and I didn't do tor- terribly but it's like nobody wants to be that person who's making an excuse and even if you had an excuse at the time you know yeah I mean to some extent I feel like people get it but yeah as a it's more like us as competitors we don't want to like use this crutch to explain away performances because we're so hard on ourselves but like dude you had food poisoning like no one is gonna go out and just crush a 26 mile race after they haven't eaten in a week (laughs) you know like i feel like most people would give you that grace well and even i remember like um i think it was the year shalane one actually mary katani talked about how she didn't have a good race because she had her period and it's like well, obviously, you know, it's like something like that is, you know, I mean, it's t- taboo for like a whole other set of reasons, but it's like shit happens, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I do feel like you do wish there was a level of that everyone was allowed to sort of, you know, be as candid as they could possibly be about, you know, things oh, going for sure. on. I think it's especially hard in like the road racing world where people race so infrequently that you know, if you're like a basketball player or whatever, and you have a bad game, it's like, I had food poisoning, but you can say that because you have a hundred more games to go out there and like prove to people that you're good, you know, but in distance running, it's like, you have that, ex- you want to use an excuse in a marathon. It feels weird because it's like probably one of like five races you did all year. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. So the, um, I guess this, this kind of this could be a sponsorship question, but but doesn't have to be. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, since you're someone who's pretty pretty vocal about, you know, things that maybe need to change in, in track and field, um, if you had unlimited money and power, and there was like one thing that you could change about the way that the sport of running is done, what would be what would be the top of your to do list? Oh God. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think investing that money in in high quality broadcasting and just doing whatever you had to do to get it on major networks with a competent team and competent announcers, just to increase the number of eyeballs on the sport, um, because I do believe that eyeballs bring advertisers, and advertisers bring money, and money trickles down. Um, hopefully to to athletes and like 
you know, cause companies need incentive to sponsor athletes and athletes need to make a living. Right. And so it's just like, Hey, I'm going to be on national TV like 10 times this year, you know? And I would also like, now, now I want to give you like 10 different things, but like, you really have to burn down the sponsorship model. Like logo restrictions are absurd. The fact that Nike, you know, has signed a 40 year deal with USATF and got all that exclusive marketing space is absurd. Like there are so many things that we've done to make the sport niche, you know, that benefits just a few people. When, if you were to really burn that down, get eyeballs on the sport. I I mean, I really feel like it could be NASCAR. Why can't we be NASCAR? Like, I mean, I saw like there was an ax throwing competition or something the other day and the prize purse was like a quarter million dollars. You know, it's just, it's just like, are you really, no one can tell me that ax throwing is more exciting than track and field, maybe as exciting, but there's no, there's nothing more exciting about ax throwing or NASCAR, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I think, I mean, it's interesting. Like I do feel like we're seeing a little bit of the, maybe not the burning down, but the slow erosion of stuff like that. You know, I think, um, some, somebody like Alice and Felix signing with Athleta and, and some of, you know, Mondo signing with Red Bull. It's like, we are seeing this like slow trickle of other brands. And I think especially one of my kind of, you know, conspiracy theories is I, I wonder sometimes if the shoe issues are going to kind of be the, you know, be the mother of necessity, necessity being the mother of invention for changing the way athletes think about sponsorships because if you know if you are somebody who takes as gospel that you know schmikes are the best shoe in the business and no matter what happens if you want to be a good professional runner you have to run in schmikes like essentially you'd want that to be non-negotiable and to look for your professional sponsorship from a non-shoe company and it's it's I'm interested to see if that starts happening more and more. I mean, obviously I, I run for Tracksmith, so I'm probably uh, biased in that sense, but um, yeah. you know, it, it does, the shoe game being such a bigger level of a, a higher consideration directly tied to performance, I do think kind of cha- changes how you have to think about sponsorship too. Yeah, I mean, right now we are all kind of dependent on the shoe industry right like the only way to really make a living um the only path is to sign a shoe deal and so i think we'll we'll really know that the sport is in a good place when people are signing sponsorships with companies not endemic to running like when we see when we see uh you know noah lyle's running for target like we'll we'll know that the sport is in a really the capitalism good place. has worked <laughs> It's exactly that capitalism is finally working for somebody or or at least we're making capitalism finally work for us. Um, Yeah, that's when we'll know, but that's not going to happen until there's a lot more eyeballs on the sport Um, that that there's no way getting around that. I I always kind of, I I mean, I think that how can we like sell track to the public is, you know, it's like the magic question so often. so more and more recently, I've been thinking, like, I do feel like transparency with contracts and, and um, you know, the, that, the lack of a players union for running um, 
is is tough, but also running is weird, right? Because it's one of the only sports where you don't you don't necessarily have to be a professional to do it on a high level. Yeah. Yeah, that differentiation between amateur and professional is so is such a weird thing about this sport. I mean, you have people winning races, competing on absolutely professional level, but like they are not making a living from this but the guy in like third or fourth place is probably like on a good shoe deal and you know and so yeah that and and that amateur aspect of it while is cool to people in a sport to know that you can compete with pros like from a fan perspective it's very strange you know and so it's, it's kind of hard to take i don't know maybe it's kind of hard to take the sport seriously when you're like that guy is actually a barista or that you know not that there's anything yeah i mean but the the other thing like amateur run like a lot of people have decided that you know running will never be their job and they're just going to pursue it without a dream of sponsorship just because they love to do it um i mean that was my perspective for a long time too um and so though like you know within the household those ideas it's easy to coexist but i think a fan tuning in would be confused by that who didn't know yeah how do you feel about um i feel like it's a dirty word these days but uh the rise of youtube running culture as kind of an alternative avenue towards monetizing running yeah the the youtube culture is like really interesting to me and on one level probably the biggest level i know that as you know, when I was first getting into the sport and, and I think Kyle is, and Morgan McDonald have talked about this too, but like having, it would have been so cool to have had that access to that content as like a young athlete, because when, when I was, you know, just getting into the sport and I imagine the same is true for you, there, there really wasn't that much content. Like I, this was like early days flow track, even like, I remember watching Trevor Dunbar run, like a two mile time trial in Alaska on like a snowy track and just being like, Oh my God, that was the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Just this low quality video, whatever. Um, maybe, you know, that video, but, but now you can, you can tune in you can see Morgan McDonald's long run, and then you can watch him race the next weekend or whatever. And so, yeah, I think in general, it's a very good thing. It's very cool. And um, there are channels I like more than others. <laughs> what a diplomatic way to put that <laughs> um, yeah no I think see I was weirdly late to the being a like I've always run but I always say I was late to becoming a f- true fan of running in that I didn't really follow running outside like watching the Olympics until my senior year of college okay um, but but I even remember, I mean, you know, it's like I'm old enough that it is kind of a long time ago now where it's like, um, remember, I hate to say something good about Flowtrack, but like, remember when Flowtrack <laughs> would do those like Track Shack videos where they would show like oh, yeah, runners' yeah. houses? Like, those were great. Like, so, I mean, you know, it's all kind of built on that like real main vibe that, you know, those guys set out, but. Oh, yeah, definitely. The real main. Like, I, uh, 
I, I somehow got my hands on a, a copy of the real main uh, just is that possible Dude, wow that's impressive um, was it on a VHS uh, or something <laughs> no no I, I was I was sent a link from someone who shall remain nameless uh, nice. this is good but, that's gonna like be um, people are gonna be hit, hitting up all sorts of people for favors uh, I think I'm one of the only people who has seen the real main in the last however many, however many years because it totally disappeared. I was gonna say I might need to to barter, figure out some sort of bargaining chip. I have to be sent this link, but uh, yeah, we'll talk um, off air. But see uh, if Kyle owes me a favor or something. But yeah, but it, yeah, I mean, I mean it, still hold, it still holds up, and that was the content that I saw, and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, whoa, these these legit dudes are getting together and training, and now it's like any kid could get on YouTube, and there's like ten different channels all kind of doing that. Well, and that's my see. That's kind of my. I ran with a friend who was a photographer yesterday and my kind of, you know, pretentious take on the whole thing is like, there's, there's so many ways to do storytelling and make the sport interesting, whether it's, you know, YouTube or podcasts or just social media in general or whatever. And there are interesting people in the sport and part of why my kind of like macro issue with like running YouTube is that I've, the, the, the bar for quality is so low that it's like you can be successful without being interesting. And yeah. kind of the, the challenge I kind of like want to like throw down for, you know, the, kind of the creators out there, for lack of a better term, is like take all the really good people and make them interesting. Like that's how you sell track and field to a broader fan base is if, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be this dichotomy of like, you have to be like, you know, Galen Rupp or Casey Neistat and nowhere in between. It's like, no, there, you should be able to be a high level Olympic caliber runner who also, ha you know, is really good at the marketing side of it, you know? Yeah. And so I agree. One thing I would add, I mean, athletes are not inherently sports marketers right and i and i think it's kind of unfair to expect someone who's dedicated their lives to athletics to like also be really good at selling themselves and so but like most contracts that i know of don't have a budget for that written in and so i think like when negotiating contracts athletes really have to be like hey like you need to give me five grand a year to spend on content creation because then if if I get that money like I'm gonna hire my friends here in Boulder of which there are many to come out and professionally shoot my workouts and they'll do it for like practically nothing probably because they're friends but it's like you don't want to ask me to actually do it for nothing and you know for a couple grand a year you could hire someone to put YouTube channels together and it could still be authentic content it can still be you it can still be your message but it's produced at a level um, that would make things interesting that athletes I, I'm not sure are willing to go out of pocket for. And so I think it, I think it needs to be a collaboration between athletes and sponsors. I love that idea. Cause I think it's just, you know, I mean, that people have the same thing with their coach and contracts all the time is, you know, they'll, they'll get a coaching stipend um, or a medical stipend or whatever. And you would think, I mean, I have to believe that economically that's cheaper for the brand too than, you know, oh, contracting yeah. out, you know, 
whoever, you know, paying them twice as much to fly them out and, you know, do a professional photo shoot for like, you know, the one time a year when they decide to do that. Um, yeah. And, and it maximizes their investment in me, for example, like you're going to pay me X number of dollars, but if I just float off into the ether, I don't have social media, I don't have YouTube, whatever, you know, how much bang for your buck are you really getting? But if you add a small fraction of whatever you're paying me as a media budget, and then like allow me to be creative because I'm not, I'm probably not ever going to buy a camera and do a YouTube show myself. Right. But if I had somebody to like help me do it, you know, it's a rising tide that. Well, I'm I'm a big teams guy too. And like, I, I, you know, one of the reasons why I think, you know, people, we should really be moving toward a more team-based model for professional running is to have someone you know, the way Tin Man does or the way Bowerman does, where they have someone there who can take, you know, the burden off the athletes to, to do the storytelling that I hadn't even thought of, you know, putting it, baking it directly into the contract for maybe folks who don't want to, you know, be in a training group or, or have different setups. That's really interesting. Yeah. And even in, even in shoe, like training groups directly sponsored by shoe companies, I'm not sure how many of those people are actually like employed to cover those groups and how many people are just covering the groups because like, you know, it's cool to go photograph Bowerman. And so to me, it's like, you're going to hire a stable of elite athletes. It's like an absolute no brainer that you would hire somebody to run social and market them as if they're an arm of your company. Yeah. Sell your second alter G and (laughs) hire a photographer for a year, you know? Yeah, it's like the the fact that like the Brooks Beasts were allowed to just like exist in the ether without. I mean, I think Brooks tried to cover that base by by signing uh, Spencer Brown and absorbing his YouTube channel and like essentially allowing him to be a high level athlete, but also like a documentarian of this group is like kind of a move to do that. But it's like let him just be an athlete and like let him say like document. I I res- respect the hell out of sort of the the effort he puts in. Um, but I do feel like it, it's got to take something out of your, you know, it's, it's a lot of time and effort and, you know, you're, you're half focusing on the workout and half focusing on the filming. It's like, it, it, it's gotta be training. You know? it's tough. Yeah. I would actually love to ask him that question and just talk like, cause he's been doing it for what I understand to be a pretty long time. It's like, cause I imagine myself in a lot of those moments, like, like having a bad workout and be like, Oh shit, I got to pull out the camera and talk to it in my car. And, and it's just like, it's very hard for me to wrap around my head around, like not necessarily being vulnerable. I'm okay with that, but like making the effort to document everything as it happens and not just feeling weird talking to myself in the car for a camera, even though I think people would find that those moments interesting. Because it is yeah. draining. I, I, I find social media in general to be extremely draining. Um, and so it would be nice if someone else did it. But yeah, I also think that's kind of inauthentic to have somebody else run your socials who doesn't know what you're doing. But Yeah, well, it's also, you know, I think, for better or worse, putting that job in someone else's, you know, department, um, you know, probably is, is better for you in the long run, you know. And it's better for the sport in the long run. If, if like good athletes are pumping out good content, because like people are going to be exposed to the sport through those YouTube channels to some extent. Um, And they may draw an audience that just having races live 
may not draw and people are going to become invested. Like Spencer Brown has a huge following that not every 339 guy has, right? It's not only his performance that has created this following. It's him being like dedicated to this channel and allowing people to get to know him. And so they're going to tune in. They're going to cheer for him because they know him. And it doesn't really matter if there's a guy in there that has a 335 PR, they want to see their guy run well. And, uh, and that's cool. And I think that that can be done, but it needs to be done on a much bigger level. Yeah, I, it's so interesting. We could we could spend the entire episode talking about what fixing yeah. the sport, yeah, just could, you and me. Yeah, could, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, yeah, I feel like well, of course, you can't have YouTube without beef. And so, one of the things I was going to ask you um, is, uh, do you do you now or have you ever had a had genuine beef with with anyone you've uh competed against uh in the in the sport mm, genuine beef no I'm, I'm trying to think i don't think so i mean i i would i would more say that there are specific guys that i really measure myself against and that i absolutely want to beat but i don't think i've ever had like a personal like hatred for somebody and, and to be like scott fobble comes to mind right like oh, I when I, I yeah right now i i love racing scott because i always know that he's gonna he's gonna run extremely hard and that he takes races personally like while they're happening right and so but we're i you know i would say we're buddies outside of running you know and uh you know i always look forward to running into him at races and stuff but when the gun goes off like I know that he wants to just rip my head off and that's cool because I want to rip yeah. his head off and he's, and he's gotten me more times than I've gotten him. But it's just like, those are, I think the rivalries that I really thrive off of just like I've identified, you know, people in the sport who I just know are always going to bring it. And I know that they are extremely motivated and I just like want to match that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's guys I don't like. Like, I don't like Galen Rupp, you know, but do we have a beef? Like, I don't think he knows that I exist. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's kind Well, of maybe stuff. that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, well, I like inadvertently uh, went public with uh, uh, someone I don't like this weekend. So now it's like top of, top of mind for me. But yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Um, uh, I went went public. I love that. Well, because it's like one of those things where it's like, um, oh, I'll talk about. It. I don't care. I mean, it, it's that Westfly kid um, who runs yeah. for Ole Miss. Like, I don't, I don't like him. I think he's a fucking asshole, and I think he, I think there's a lot of toxic masculinity inherent in the brand that he's built for himself, and I don't think that's good for the sport. Um, and I've talked about that off the record a lot, and then this weekend I like kind of. Uh, maybe aided by a couple of beers, uh, said that publicly and it got back to him. So I guess now we're enemies, but um, I mean, maybe we're he, just faking the whole time and, and it's just for clout. I mean, I, I would love for like you two to have like a conversation, like a private conversation and like be like, dude, you know that the image that you portrayed in your YouTube channel like is toxic masculinity, right? And it's like really not a good way to live your life, you know, and, and you wonder, and maybe maybe you have talked to him but you kind of wonder if like sure that that kind of content can thrive on youtube but it's like do you really live your life like that or like is this really you you know well and that's i mean 
uh, honestly, and I, one of the things that pisses me off is like, it's effective. Like I'm mad about it. I'm giving, yeah. you know, I'm giving him, you know, he's living rent free in my head. Like I, I, I shouldn't have to care about this guy who's, who I don't follow on any social media and whose videos I don't watch. And it still annoys me, you know, <laughs> so it's effective, but um, you know, I, I kind of feel like maybe this is me being all high and mighty, but I do feel like, especially for the, the branding stuff, it's like, it kind of doesn't matter whether it's genuine or not. It's still a choice you're making yeah to to send that message and it's like and especially i think you know it's like it is like this weird trumpy thing where it's like you're tapping into this some this incredibly dark feeling that just because a lot of people might have that same feeling does not mean it's productive or that that you know the idea that like you know other people also feel like men should be alphas does not mean that that's like, you know, popularity does not equal right, you know? And it's, it's, it's so that we yeah. can't get into this. Uh, this all go down this rabbit hole forever. But. No, that, that, that's a very good point. And maybe we can wrap it up by agreeing that as more people get into this space, like some, you know, the cream will rise to the top, hopefully. And, and channels that really aren't offering anything of substance, like that may get views now because the pool isn't very deep, like hope. And, and I'm not familiar with it, this guy's channel really. I've only watched like a video or two, but I know what you're talking about, but hopefully over time, as people like Morgan McDonald who are creating really quality, insightful stuff, like that gets deeper and deeper and people who are really just like surface level shock value, YouTube, whatever, I mean, hopefully that gets pushed yeah. to the bottom of the of the view totem pole and well, you can free up some space in your brain. <laughs> this is maybe a good segue into one of the things I want to talk to you about because I think one of the, like, I only want to have guests on who are that exact kind of person where it's like, you're a really interesting person who really hasn't had the chance to tell your story. You know, it's like, or I, we've had some pretty well-known people on the podcast. So that's not fair, but like, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to interview a guest that I don't find interesting, I guess is the way I would put it, put that. Um, and, and yeah. to segue into D, the D3 glory days podcast, one of the things <laughs> I was going to ask you is um, as this is a bit of a, um, you know, introduction to the Sidious Mag network, do you have a favorite episode of the pod so far that, that you would want people to start with? Um. I, so we, we sometimes break things down into, into mini series. Um, and so we, we do have plenty of standalone episodes, but probably my favorite thing we've done so far. Um, we did a three-part series examining, uh, the SUNY Cortland dynasty. Um, they won like five or six, the women's team won like five or six in CAA championships over a period of 10 years. And so we broke that down to three episodes and we interviewed, three women who were involved in like leading up to those first couple championships, three women who were there when they basically won four in a row and then three women who were involved in kind of the petering out of that dynasty. Mm -hmm. And so that was really interesting because we got to know, you know, we got to know a program over a decade. Right. And I talked to, we talked to women who, you know, didn't even know, you know, they didn't know that team very well that came 
two generations after them but by talking to everybody we could form like a really clear picture of just like oh like these women and and jack daniels was the head coach of that program um which a lot of people i i don't know if they're aware of that um that's a big name and so these it started with women who didn't really know what they were getting into they just kind of liked to run and they had phenomenal success and then women who like were committing to the program because they wanted to be in the dynasty and then ultimately you know it's hard to sustain those things and it's nobody's fault they just kind of it's hard to sustain a national championship winning team so anyway that was like a really cool story because i mean so the podcast started as um i co-hosted with students Taddy, who's my college teammate and it was his idea and i was just like oh this will be a great thing for Stu and i to do together to keep in touch um but slowly I realized that there are so many like cool stories out there that I had no idea about. And I think a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. I, um, I always joke that I am a, I'm like a adopted D3 runner because I was, um, when I was looking at colleges, basically all of my sort of top choices and I had, a, I was very indecisive in my college decision process. So like I applied to a million schools, um, but, but in terms of the colleges whose teams I was looking at, um, you know, it pretty much was, a, you know, a couple Ivy league schools and then a bunch of NESCAC schools. Um, and yeah. so, which, you know, are very similar, similar energy. And, and a lot of the guys that I trained with now, my roommate, um, went to Amherst College. Um, I, I ran with a bunch of the Bowdoin guys this morning because a lot of, the, you know, a lot of people in the area here who are post-collegiate runners, um, you know, ran in the NESCAC. Um, so, so I feel like I, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, <laughs> Division Three. Um, but uh, one of the things I was going to ask, uh, it's, it's maybe a little uh, hokey, but uh, what, is your, uh, what is your most glorious day in college for you? Oh, wow. So many running related or like social related. <laughs> Interpret as you choose. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, well, I'll start by saying that, you know, I was not a good enough high school athlete where I could have really joined a competitive division one program. And so division three was really my on-ramp into continuing to run. I was a, a 430 miler, 955, two miler coming out of high school. Um, and so I really value division three in that way. But yeah, if you'll allow me to talk about my own glory days, uh, you know, my, my junior year, I kind of steadily improved, but I qualified for nationals in cross country for the, the second time as an individual. But I just had this, like one of those amazing days where it just like, I couldn't believe how far up in the pack I was. And I ended up finishing ninth, which was like, a 60 position improvement from the year before I, my freshman year, I was like 70th in the region. And so two years later, ninth in the country, like that was one of those moments where I was just like, Oh, like maybe I'm better than I thought I was. Um, and kind of allowed me to like dream bigger, um, which, you know, the next year I only finished one position higher, but it, but it was still just like, it, it was like one of those moments that redefines your potential as you see it and and that was really powerful what about your least glorious day uh yeah i mean there's always way more of those <laughs> and so uh, i mean i had plenty of bad races like i had i i would start seasons i remember like getting there my freshman year 
and it was the first summer really that I'd ever run. I'd never trained over the summer in high school. I didn't really know that that was a thing, but the guys were like, Oh, like how far, you know, how much during the summer? And I was like, Oh, you know, about 30, 40 miles a week. And they were just like, Oh, okay. (laughs) And I, and I, and I was like, I was like, that's pretty good. I was running like four or five days a week, whatever. Um, And then, you know, I just got destroyed. Like um, I was not competitive at all. Um, even on the team at first, but I just like slowly got better, but yeah, I had bad races. I, like I was telling you earlier, I, I, my senior year, my last race, I had to, had to kick early in the 10 K just so I wouldn't get lapped. And uh, that was kind of a hard way to go out. I'd been on kind of a bender after graduation and that race just kind of came out of nowhere, <laughs> but yeah. So that was probably, a, that was a low moment for sure. Cause I thought that was the last race I was ever going to run. That, um, also kind of a good segue. Uh, I was going to ask, um, what's a, what's a college story you can tell now that you definitely can only tell now and had to wait, you know, some sort of statute of limitations, um, to pass before you, you, you told it. Um, hmm, that's, that's, I, I almost feel like the statute of limitations on some of those stories never expires. Oh, no, that's um, what I mean. There's, yeah. there's, the, there's the stories you can always tell and the stories uh, you can never tell on a podcast. Um, but there's a, there's a fine medium. Um. Well, maybe, maybe I'll tell one that involves my, my co-host from D3 Glory Days, Stu. And like, I'll, I'll tell the most PG version of it possible sure. so that he won't, he won't get upset. So he was... I believe this was his freshman year and I was a sophomore and, and we had a, you know, we were allowed to go out. We didn't have like a strict drinking policy. Like it was pretty common for us to go out on weekends and just like try to keep it under control. But as you know, now a sophomore and like, I guess like one of the older guys on the team at that point, like I really thought it was my place to like counsel the younger runners and and so we have we had a standalone locker room that was only for cross country and it was right on the track it was it had a code that only we had um really awesome we called it the alamo because it was like i don't know the last place it was for us and so and so we we always told we told these kids like if you get in trouble like if a party gets busted or whatever and like you need a safe space remember the Alamo, like go to the Alamo, you know? And, uh, and anyway, so Stu took that to heart one night and like a party got busted or whatever and like went to the Alamo, but it was not as safe a space as maybe we, we had anticipated. And, uh, we all got in a lot of trouble for that. (laughs) Because, uh, he was he was found by custodial staff or something. He he or? was found he was found by the powers that be in the Alamo, oh dear. and it, and it did not bode well. Was was uh, he alone? He was alone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I won't get into any of the gory details, and I think he'll he'd find it funny now. But it it, it was looking back on it like, why didn't we tell him to do that? Like, why didn't we tell him to come to our house or whatever? <laughs> you know, that just... that reminds me of a. Um another one of those stories where I'm like, I can tell this now, it's fine. Um, But we, um, we would always, uh, if you didn't make the HEPs team for, you know, whatever conference championship, um, people would often go and watch and cheer. Um, And our sophomore year, 
uh, indoor haps was at Dartmouth and I didn't, me and a couple of my friends weren't on the roster uh, for the, for the haps team. Um, and we went, we're like, Oh, we're gonna, um, you know, drive out and, and watch the meet. Um, and we'll drive out Saturday morning and drive back Sunday night. So we'll only have to stay one night. So Dartmouth being in Hanover, New Hampshire, um, there's not a lot of like accommodations nearby. <laughs> um, and we're like caught, you know, 20 year old college students. So we're like, we don't want to spend money. Um, mm-hmm. So we're like, all right, well, other people were like, you know, staying at somebody's house, like 40 minutes away or like, I think this was maybe even like before, like Airbnb may not have even invented it. Or maybe we were just college kids and we didn't know about it. But like, we, we did, we're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. At Cornell, there are a lot of buildings. Like we have a library that's open all night. Um, many of the buildings are just like not locked for reasons passing understanding. So like you could do something like remembering the LMO and just like, you know, find some like uh, un you know, inhabited corner of some like lecture hall and like sleep there. And we're like, we're just gonna go to Dartmouth and wing it. We're just gonna like find a place and just like sleep there. And of course, because Dartmouth is normal and not like Cornell, like they had a lot more locks on their doors um, than we were anticipating. And we like went to like a library and then it closed. And then we're like, oh, I know what we'll do. We'll go to the indoor track and sleep on the high jump mats like that's the flawless idea and of course like a security guard like caught us honestly i'm amazed we didn't get in more trouble i think we were very conscious to not ever like tell anybody that we were from cornell um Mm -hmm. but like the security guard caught us and was like you guys can't sleep here and then like we were like he there was some student center which i think i think like literally they had a room that was for like through hikers or something where like, it was basically like not even, not even there weren't beds or anything. It was just an empty room where it was just like literally somebody, some like random student worker, like late at night was like, Oh, you guys can like sleep in this basement classroom basically. And we did, we slept on the floor of this random room and our coaches like, I think never found out about it. Um, one of my coaches uh, listens to this, so he will uh, find out about it now. Um, but, Statue yeah, of limitations we, is up. Yeah, well, and it's, of course, like, it, you know, it's like we didn't break anything or vandalize anything, but, like, we definitely could have gotten in a lot of trouble for that. But yeah, all's well that ends well, I guess. <laughs> no doubt. Um, all right, I'm trying to see if anything on here um, that I wanted to ask you. Um, oh, uh Somebody, I read some article somewhere that says you are a PBR drinker. Is that uh, is that still your your beer of choice? I, I would say my my cheap domestic beer of choice has shifted to uh, to High Life's over the last couple of years. Interesting. Those are my go tos as well. PBR and yeah. High Life. I, I think if you're gonna spend, you know, under twenty dollars on a thirty rack of beer, those those are your best bets. Yeah, I mean, highlights of the champagne of beers. They have those, like, kind of aesthetically pleasing bottles. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Why not? And, I like, I definitely have been, like, a beer snob at points. I was going to um, say, do you have a favorite beer that, that it does not cost under $20 for 30 rounds? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pro- probably, like, uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of great breweries here, but probably, like, one that's iconic to me is the Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. I don't know if they have that mm-hmm. over where you're from. It's a Michigan brewery. 
Um, but yeah, that's probably my like, you know, nice beer of choice. I feel like after you've been drinking beer for a while, it's not even about beers that that taste better than other beers. It's beers that you just have a special memory of, or it's like, oh, I, you know, when I was hanging out with my buddies at the bar we always went to, like I always drank High Lives. And so you're just like connected. It's like, it's like a branding thing. You're connected to mm. like, do I love the taste of high life? You know, no, but it's like, you know, I want to have a beer and it's like, I, you know, I have memories. <laughs> have you ever run a beer mile? Uh, yeah, I did one, one in college. Um, I ran like eight times. It was like eight minutes, something. Respectable. And, and actually here in Boulder today, and this is something I definitely want to talk about. I don't know if you know Bobby Peavy. Um, um, where did he run? He, this is now the second time in a row he's come up because I, he, I believe he is a Georgetown graduate. Yes, yes, um, that's correct. Amos Bartlesmeyer was our most recent guest on the pod and told several stories about him. So this is now a, a recurring theme. Wow, I wonder if he, I wonder if he knows. Um, so, so this is kind of going off the rails but every february that's what this podcast is for no yeah <laughs> it's going like, off the rails I, i'm a big fan of this project by bobby and so so last year was the first year this was the second but every day in february he has to eat a hot dog but it's not just it's not just a hot dog it has to be in some kind of creative form that's not duplicated and so um, some of them are pretty standard. Like he'll have like a burrito dog, like a burrito, but he puts a hot dog in it. And then some of them are like very weird. Like he did, uh, a hot dog in jello, um, like a cut up hot dog in jello. And then some of them are just like downright dark. Um, like he, he ground up a hot dog with his coffee beans and then did a pour over of like hot dog coffee. Is and the so idea that he can't eat it the same way twice? Yeah. Yeah. So every, every hot dog has to be a uh, unique delivery. And so how this ties into beer miles today, this morning, and I'm so disappointed that I missed it, but he did, he did a hot dog beer mile. So one hot one hot dog just traditional hot dog with a bun and one beer every lap um and he had a couple other people doing it with him and one guy apparently ran 10 minutes like 10 minutes something for four beers four hot dogs like that's crazy that's so gross <laughs> it's so gross <laughs> i don't yeah, even so like hot yeah, dogs that much like i'm one of those people where it's like uh, like barbecue it's like i'll always have a hamburger I'll make like maybe if they're if I'm starving and like the hamburgers aren't ready yet I'll have a hot dog but like I'm not a big hot dog guy and yeah no it's it's a weird corner of the internet that I really love you should check out his Instagram like so is he is you said he's done this multiple years this is the second annual hot dog February and so for every day he'll post a video of what he's eating and he always wears a hot dog costume that the kind you've seen at races sure. and so he's hot he's hot dog bob and so he'll he'll wear the costume show you what he's prepared eat it and then rate it in the next slide and so that that's happened every day in february today was the last day how oh man all right this is gonna be a rabbit hole this could actually this could be um this could be your Instagram crush is Bobby Peavy's, uh, Bobby Peavy's Instagram. <laughs> it's, some of, it's some of the best content coming out of the running world right now. 
That, I mean, I'm like, that's not a YouTube channel for that. Like, honestly, that's so much more interesting than fucking, like, video of you running around a track. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so disgusting. That, I, I've done the 612, 1824. That's, like, the only, like, extreme food-based challenge I can think that I have done. I've done a chocolate milk mile along with the beer mile. That was... Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, I would love to do another beer mile, but it just hasn't worked out yet. I, well, you should talk to um, the beer mile podcast boys because I think they're them and Chavez are scheming to put one on um, after Fifth Ab this year. But uh, it might I, it might I, conflict yeah. with fall marathons. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe we'll we'll find a way to make it work. It wouldn't be something I do competitively, you know, because like yeah. I don't think I have it in me to chug beer as fast as I see those guys chugging beer, but it would be fun. I, so like you, I did a beer mile in college and I ran like eight something. And then I did one a few years ago for a friend's birthday and I ran like 22 minutes because <laughs> I do not, I, I can't drink things fast. When it comes to drinking games, like I'm competitive, but I'm not, I, I'm not a skilled chugger. That's never been in my, in my repertoire. And I think when you're in college, your body just, doesn't know any better um <laughs> and and when I attempted to do it at however old I was you know 24 I was like no no I really I really don't want to do this and the longer I'm doing it the 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 more my body is rebelling on me and I refuse to yeah. throw this up but I also am just going to very very slowly drink these so yeah, that's how I would I would have a more recreational approach to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I respect that for sure. Um, all right, well, this is I guess uh, uh, we we can have all sorts of segues because you are you are a um, I don't want to say professional musician, but you are a musician in your own right. Um, you're in a band. Are you still in a band, or were you, you were at one point in a band? Um, both of those are true. I was at one okay. point in a band, and then not in a band for a long time and now currently in a band okay um do you have music coming out do you want to plug it <laughs> oh i i would love to plug it yeah so the band i i started playing with um in 2020 uh, it, they're called Barry mia and they're uh, like a pop punk band which is the music that i really loved when i like first got into music and so it's been really like cool to be like older now and like tapping back into that world a little bit and so uh yeah we recorded um a few songs this summer at um like a like a professional studio and they came out really awesome and so we're releasing the first uh the first of those songs it's called better off um next week like on the fourth or the fifth i think of march that's exciting well this is gonna be well timed this is like literally gonna be like this is now part of your media tour for uh, yeah <laughs> your, your, your band promotion. It's not even a, a running thing anymore. Uh, are, are you what are you are you a singer? Are you a guitarist? Guitar primarily. Um, I'll, I'll sing a little bit, um, but I'm not the like I'm not our lead vocalist in any way. And and so these guys have been playing music for years, and so a spot just kind of opened up this this year when their last guitar player left, and so. I've just kind of been coming on and like learning their stuff um, for the most part over the last year. And so it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's the part of me I've, that like music was my thing before running was my thing. And so it's been fun to tap back into that. 
Have you ever jammed with fellow marathoner and uh, band member Gerald Mock? No, not yet. <laughs> well, because he, he moved to Boston. Um, yeah, uh, he's uh, he's back in Colorado right now. Um, is but, he? Um, what what's his band? His band's name is like Hermit Commune, I think. Which I think, yeah. I think he's a just, singer. He's good. Uh, he has a really good voice. Um, I haven't heard him sing actually. I need to. Uh, I believe to he is up. their lead singer. So um, okay, you can find them on Spotify. I've, I will say I'm I'm not like a diehard fan, but I do like the idea of. Um, forming some sort of band with like a absurdly fast average marathon personal best. <laughs> and, and we both kind of look alike. So we could, the band could be called the Gerald Mox or something. <laughs> I like that. Like I, I, we were actually talking about him today at practice. Uh, I met up with some of my teammates and there, there were, there's like three of us who have like long dark hair and beards and then there was another guy who I met today who was running with us. And and somebody was like, you look like Gerald Mock. And then one of my teammates was like, no, I'm Gerald Mock. And then one of my other was like, no, I'm Gerald Mock. <laughs> and, uh, That's yeah, the it's, new I'm, I'm Spartacus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just a look that everyone is trying to pull off. Um, when, is, uh, when is Frank Lara going to um, grow out his hair and, and grow a massive beard? <laughs> it, it, it's on the way his hair is actually getting longer and he uh, yeah well he has hair like me where like i think it, it grows out more than down uh, yeah it's kind of a prerequisite to be like on our team at this point especially if you want to run well like you need to at least be trying to grow your hair out and i think frank and i have kind of proven that do you have a hair care routine is there i don't i don't know if that's um a thing that uh now you take seriously no, it's not a thing. Emma, I use whatever products Emma has for her hair. I just kind of share them. Um, so yeah, nothing, uh, nothing really to write home about, but you know, she, she's got good stuff. So I washed it today. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize you had the, I think the, the last time I've seen extensive pictures of you was the marathon project. So I didn't realize you were, you were rocking the full beard uh, for the winter, I, I assume. Yeah, it kind of goes in cycles. I like to race with the mustache, but then after the race, I kind of cut it off as like, you know, the season is over kind of thing. And then I just like grow it all back out. Um, so the, the, I guess there's more of a thought process behind the beard than the hair. It's kind of reflective of where I am in, in my running cycle. As a singer, um, do you have a go-to karaoke song um, when it is your time to shine and, and the mic is handed your way? To be honest, I, I find karaoke to be weird. I don't like karaoke. I, this might be the hottest take of the podcast. I, yeah, I know. And it, it always seems to be when I tell people that I find it very uncomfortable and I don't really understand why people like it. Interesting. I, yeah. I wonder if that's because you are a musician that the idea of like deliberately and knowingly like doing it kind of badly might be like anathema to you you know <laughs> I, I think that's definitely part of it I also just haven't had you know I haven't really had like maybe an authentic karaoke experience like maybe I just need to like get drunk enough be with the right people and like really give it a go but it's one of those things that just like makes my skin crawl and like imagining it in kind of a, a weird way and so I've never committed that's fair. That being said, I am going to hold your feet to the fire on this one. Someone hands you a mic. You have no choice. What are you singing? 
I feel like I would go with something like a crowd pleaser or something I kind of already know the words to and the song that is just like popping in my mind right now is is all star by smash mouth I feel like that would be like I feel like that I feel like that would be a a pretty good karaoke song that I could sing freely (laughs) I thought for sure you were gonna go with like um some some classic early 2000s pop punk given given everything you said like some fallout boy or, or blink 182 (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, uh, <laughs> where are you and i'm so sorry yeah we could do that we get everybody everybody sad at the bar um, <laughs> yeah, yeah sad and too. angry and texting their ex or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> if you're doing if you're if you're doing it right everybody is texting their ex by the end of it <laughs> that's smart um and 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 last but not least uh your death row meal you're going to the chair you get to eat anything you want for one last meal, what are you having? Uh, I've, I've been like into ribs over the last year. So I was a vegetarian for like 22 years. Oh, wow. And so, and so I'm 30 now. So I've been eating meat for like a while. Um, but yeah, I'm, I feel like I, every now and then I re, I discover something that like people have just kind of you eaten. You didn't forever. have access to before. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, exactly. And so like, yeah, like, barbecue ribs are like what made you go unvegetarian um well i grew up as a vegetarian and so that i just kind of accepted it as what i was i guess and then um in 2015 i did a hiking trip with some friends that we did the john muir trail in california and we were just kind of out and hiking for a few weeks and so you don't you can't really be picky about your food choice sure. because you're you're carrying it and you get extremely hungry. And so it, when meat was available, I, it felt like a dumb thing to do to not eat it, right? Because mm. I was really, really hungry. And um, and then, you know, I kind of thought about why, you know, not to like get more serious with this podcast, but like to <laughs> kind of think, think about like why I was a vegetarian. Like, did I feel strongly about animal rights or like environmental concerns? And I, I did, but I also believe that humans were kind of, you know, evolutionary, evolutionarily evolved to eat kind of a balanced diet. And meat does have a place in that as long as you can consume it um, in responsible amounts. Like I think Americans eat way too much meat, but like, I was like, you know, if I would eat meat once or twice a week, like, do I really have like a moral problem with that? And I didn't. Yeah, I think I should. I always think that I eat too much meat um, solely out of lack of creativity. Yeah. Because I do, I am pretty good about cooking my own dinners and it's a lot easier to make a dinner that has a like meat-based entree than like to make a filling, nutritious, protein-rich vegetarian dinners. So that's kind of a cop-out on my end, but... um, I don't, no, I don't feel strongly about it. <laughs> yeah, it's very normal. And for, for most people, it's fine. But, you know, mm-hmm. I do think we do need to be intentional on the way that we eat to some extent. But what that looks like is different for different people. Oh, that, that's uh, that's the whole, that's the follow-up to this podcast. Is if we're, now that we've covered all of the controversial topics, we can get into food and fueling and running. Everyone's yeah. favorite topic. Um, <laughs> that's for next time. <laughs> next um, time. 
but but yeah, thanks for coming on. This has been uh, super fun, super, uh, we, we covered a lot of ground in a comparatively short time. So hopefully- Yeah, no, uh, I'm happy to do people it. People enjoy. Um, welcome to the family. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth. Thanks for having me.